Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. A few quick announcements before we get into this week's episode. Our exhibit, Catharsis, is on view now. Go see it if you have not yet. It's viewable at exhibit.teachingartistpodcast.com and our new gallery website, playinspiregallery.com. We are switching over to that site. The show runs through March 19th and will then be archived on our site. We're also hosting studio visits most Saturdays via Instagram Live, so head over and watch any that you missed and keep an eye out for the upcoming studio visits at Teaching Artist Podcast and at Curated for Kids. And we are now so excited to announce our spring 2021 open call. We will be doing seasonal open calls, so four each year. The spring open call has a theme around the idea of rise. So this spring feels especially full of renewal as we begin to rise from this pandemic, as we raise up our voices for justice, as we bloom and rise into the light. And I'm thinking of the beautiful poetry by Amanda Gorman, poetry by Maya Angelou and Mary Oliver around these themes of rising up, climbing, and growing. So this guides the theme of the show. All artists are invited to submit their work for consideration to this virtual exhibition curated by myself and Maria Coit of Curated for Kids. All submissions will also be considered for our social media, podcast interviews, blog, and future opportunities. And from our winter open call, we selected several artists to do interviews with and feature on our social media and on the podcast. All visual arts media and international artists are invited to apply. You do not have to be an art educator to apply, although we love it when you fellow educators are applying. Accepted artists will be invited to share a brief video of their process and concepts, which will be included on their artist page. Videos are not required, but they are an added bonus. And we are trying to schedule it so that accepted artists will be notified about two weeks before the show opens, which is hopefully enough time to pull together a brief video. Six artists will also be invited to do an Instagram Live studio visit. Maria Coit of Curated for Kids and I will be creating lesson plans based on the themes in the show and on individual works in the show. Artists who are not juried into the show will receive feedback on their submission as a way to give back for your entry. You can submit your work at playinspiregallery.com slash open call, and I will link to that in the show notes. Our submission process does have a fee. We have set it up as a sliding scale from $8 to $20, 
because we know that those fees can be a barrier. So we want to give the opportunity for everyone to enter regardless of their financial status. But we also do want to support the work that we do. And we are so excited to see your work. We are so grateful for every submission. We really look forward to seeing your work. Submit at playinspiregallery.com slash open call. Our featured artist this week is Sarah Tan. Sarah is a Phoenix-based artist, educator, and divisor born and raised in Singapore. She has a BA in theater arts and concentration in education studies from Carleton College and an MA in theater for youth and community from Arizona State University and is a certified trauma support specialist. Her background is in modern dance, physical theater, professional theater, and drama education. As a scholar, she has researched digital creations with young people, the performance of identity, and the intersection between the performing arts and healing trauma. Her primary research is in how creative spaces exist in digital platforms among youth. Other areas of interest and continued education include trauma-informed creative practice and JETI, Justice, Economic Dignity, and Independence in Communities. As an educator and facilitator, Sarah has worked with age groups ranging from 5 to 61. These classes have included performance skills for stage and personal development, theory for film and theater, and critical analysis of artistic works. She has facilitated numerous virtual workshops and classes for middle schoolers and adults. Currently, she is a freelance performer, teaching artist, and education coordinator and digital communications specialist with Gray Box Collective. You can view more of her work on our blog or visit her website, saratonhy.com, or you can connect with her on Instagram at sarah.art.ed. And if you would like to be a featured artist, you can head over to our website, teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities and submit your work. I have loved connecting with Candido Crespo on social media, and it was such a pleasure to chat with him. He spoke about the importance of taking the time to build relationships and get to know your students, and he offered great tips for teachers. I also loved hearing about his work and the projects he has going on. Like me, he's dreaming up more than he has time for, but is doing incredible work encouraging fathers through his Creatividad project and encouraging artists through One Love Art Sessions, all while teaching and making art and parenting. Candido talked about being seen and also being targeted. He shared how hurtful it is when teachers assume a student knows about a certain culture or history, or that a student will love an artist solely based on that student's cultural background. He talked about engaging students in curriculum redesign by asking them which artists are most engaging and relevant. Such wonderful tips. Candido Crespo is a husband, father, artist, and art educator. He has taught in the Central Islip Union Free School District in Central Islip, New York for 14 years. 
He received his B.S. in visual arts education from SUNY Newpaltz and his M.A. from Stony Brook University. He also recently earned his school building and school district administrative certifications. His educational philosophy is truly rooted in relationships over content, and he's an advocate for art teachers practicing art. He is a firm believer that art teachers are at their best when they not only teach others, but create for themselves. He is currently exploring crayons and markers with his son, and sticker design, digital drawing, watercolor paintings, and pencil drawing on his own. Let's hear from Candido. All right. So I am here with Candido Crespo, and I'm so excited to talk with you. You were saying earlier, you feel like you know me, and I feel a little bit the same. Just we've communicated back and forth on Instagram a bit, and I've just been so grateful for all of the sharing and support. So I'm excited to get to chat a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I say that is just just listening to all the conversations, there are a lot of differences in, in the guests that you've had, but also all the similarities, it starts to make me feel like I have relationships or I'm building relationships with these artists that you have as well as yourself. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And every conversation is, it's like a, a chance for me also to build those relationships and to learn about things that I don't know. Like I'm always seeking that sort of information from people who know more than I do. You know, it's, it, I guess in our specialty, I'll call it that, it's yeah. easy to get, to get stranded on our island and you know if we're not having these types of these type of engagement or communications with other art teachers in our buildings or our districts it's even less likely for us to have them you know with people across the nation so podcasts and what you're doing I'm so grateful for ah thank you well I would like to get into kind of your background and your story could you kind of share with us and the question I always ask is how you became an artist and also a teacher and whether those two kind of overlap <laughs> uh, I'm such a comic book geek. I'm going to go with an. Uh, I'm going to see it as an origin story. And it, it was probably exactly that. The thing that made me so interested in art was comic books. I was so fascinated by the imagery um, that I was seeing that I would just ask my my parents to for me to go buy comic books just so I can I can mm -hmm. see the images and then try them. I, that's where I started trying to mm -hmm. do these drawings. And I want to say that was probably around nine years old that I was doing that. I, I, I just I just couldn't stop. I just wanted to do that in video games. I think my first first mural that I ever painted when I was in fifth grade was a yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog mural. Uh, it was a, I think I did it as a don't, uh, don't be a fool, stay in school type of, <laughs> type of mural. Uh, oh, I it was, love it. It was, it was really neat. Uh, how that translated to becoming a teacher is, uh, is a little different though. Um, I was definitely inspired into the career by teachers that I had in my life that impacted my life, especially mm -hmm. in high school. That just kept me on a straight edge, uh, made me feel like I was somebody important in school with a class of 600 students. I didn't feel like I was lost in the crowd. I felt felt welcomed. I felt seen by my teachers. And I wanted mm -hmm. to be able to give that back to students. It just so happened that art was what I felt, what was my passion. So I wanted to combine the two in a way that I would, I would do this for students and I would also be able to teach them and share with them something that I love so much. Mm -hmm. That's probably my story. I mean, that's how that's how I got to where I'm at. I'm on my 14th year teaching in the same district now. I've wow. been able to teach kindergarten through 12th grade. I started my career at high school. Then I moved down to uh, junior high school, middle school, and now mm -hmm. I'm teaching K through six. Um, I don't know what, what the future has in store for me, but I feel so comfortable at all grade levels now. Whatever's thrown at me, I can handle. Yeah, that's amazing. Is there one grade level that 
that you kind of gravitate towards or are you kind of you're happy with all of them? So I do have a grade that I do that I gravitate <laughs> towards and it's it's actually eighth grade. Mm. I didn't think that when I first entered the profession, I swore by I, I swore by the idea that I was going to be a uh, graphic design teacher, a computer aided mm-hmm. graphic design teacher. Um, I wanted to be in the, in the high school. I wanted to be in the lab. I didn't want to be in the studio. I didn't want to do crafts. I didn't want to do painting. Uh, but because of the experiences that I had and having the opportunity to build the studio art program where uh, junior high school students receive a high school credit, mm-hmm. I realized just how important that was for those students who are looking to start their trajectory in the arts or just wanted to do something where they can they can just fully express themselves while they're dealing with whatever else is outside of their, you know, outside of our classroom. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I built some serious relationships with my students during that time. And I, I was able to make community impact in that at that grade level. And yeah, that's it. It's going to it's eighth grade. Mm, yeah, I feel like I've talked to several middle school art teachers who talk about that, you know, being sort of a difficult time in life in general, just all of the changes that you're going through when you're that age. Right. And <laughs> yeah. And I love your, you know, how you said wanting to kind of help them get started, start on the right foot. Yeah, because uh, because of the way the program works, they were able to receive their first art credit. So essentially, mm-hmm. if, if they took my class, then they didn't have to take art in high school. So they would make space in their schedule. I yeah. thought that for some students that might have been their plan, but it worked the, the exact opposite way for, e- for even for those students who maybe had no plan or have no plan to follow in the arts because of the experience that we shared together they've gone on and, t- and taken two or three more classes when they got mm. to high school and it's just because they find they find that love for it as well yeah ah oh, that's beautiful yeah. and how do you think you're achieving that like what would you tell other teachers how do you kind of build those relationships and get students so excited and engaged so uh, to be completely transparent I think that I have a stronger grasp on relationship building than I do content prov- uh, like providing content um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be completely honest about that and I'll Part of it is that when I was going through my undergraduate experience of learning to become a teacher, mm-hmm. there was a strong emphasis on the students are not your friends. And mm. I think when I first entered the high school, being uh, 22, teaching 19, 20, 21 year old students, I realized mm. that there's got to be more to me just providing them content. There had to be more to this profession because for those students who are 21, there's a great chance that that uh, that we don't know what's in store for them in the future. And mm-hmm. it, it just dawned upon me that I need to strengthen my relationship before and build trust before I can even try to develop, uh, expect them to uh, appreciate any of the content that I'm sharing with them. Mm-hmm. So what do I do to build build those relationships? I mean, I you know I make sure that I make sure I know their names for one. You know, I, mm-hmm. that's something that some teachers miss. I ask them about their day. I get to I ask them what they're listening to so that I can listen to their music. I I ask them what they're watching. Mm-hmm. I make that make the environment feel as it's one where we can engage in those conversations and and then I take what they say, um, not and not just throw it by the wayside. But if they suggest, let's say, an anime to me, um, mm-hmm. I go home and whenever I'm available, I watch it so that when I come back in, I can let them know. And everybody who was in that conversation with us knows like, oh, Mr. Crespo is he's really he's really about it. He's really willing mm-hmm. to, to put in the effort to build that relationship with us. And I think that maybe just the effort alone is is enough for them to say like, OK, mm-hmm. whatever you want to teach us, we'll listen now. Yeah, that's amazing. Just, you know, spending that time to go back and, you know, not only ask the question, but then say, oh. Oh, cool. Like I'm going to check that out and then follow through and really check it out. Right. <laughs> Cause yeah. they could call us on our bluff. Right. Cause we could say, right. I'm going I'm to check it out. And then, and then, uh, you know, come back two weeks later and say, Hey, did you ever look into that thing? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> 
Right. And then that's just that lost moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I know I've struggled with that, just having the time to do that sort of thing. And then also, (laughs) you know, I'm at the elementary level. So, so many of my students are, their big thing is like Minecraft or Fortnite. And I'm so not a gamer. So I'm like, I don't know anything about this. (laughs) Right. So I I think uh, for me, see, because I'm, because I'm okay with this relationship being so important, I'm okay with sacrificing time in a classroom for something like that. So if, I, mm. so if I'm unaware of what they're saying, and I know I'm going to run into a commitment, a time commitment issue. Then I just, I just pull up Google on the iPad right then and there. You know, mm-hmm. This year is a little different, obviously, but you know, for all the previous years, if I know hey, I can't look into this thing later, I'm going to learn about it right now. Show me right mm-hmm. now. Tell me what this thing is. And I, and, and so that I know what it is. And then there's no, there's no further investigation necessary. They shared it with you. You engage with them, except. Yeah, no, that's great. Just to take the time right then and there if you know you can't do it later. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, And what is your teaching situation now? Are you completely online? So we have a sort of hybrid model where we're doing Monday through Thursday, A day, B day, where we see 50% capacity of the students. um, And we have a virtual section of, of, I guess, of the population that are just virtual all week. Mm -hmm. Um, And on Friday is a virtual Friday for everybody. So we're all online on Fridays. That's what's happening right now. Um, It's taking some time getting adjusted. Uh, or adjusting, but it's working for me. I think I'm getting, I think I'm de- getting a decent amount of feedback and uh, student engagement. Could I use more? Yeah, but I, mm-hmm. we're all learning right now, right? Yeah, yeah. And has it been? Is it recent that it went to hybrid? Was it online before that? So we went. Uh, we were fully online um, in March to the end of the school year in, in 2020, mm-hmm. and then we started this school year with this with this uh, plan. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a little while. You're kind of like yeah, getting used to it now yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're in the groove. um i think there's uh i can't say this i don't know you know for every subject matter but in my building there's one of our teacher and we have a pretty good system where we're just in each other's uh google classroom so we help each other out like if we're mm-hmm. if one another is in a bind maybe maybe she'll host the virtual classroom that day or i'll mm-hmm. do this, i'll do the same thing for her nice oh buddy system yeah that's great mm-hmm. um have there been any other sort of tools or resources that have been really helpful through all of this the facebook Art education groups that mm-hmm. I've joined are just so full of lesson plans and Google Classroom, Google Slides, uh, mm-hmm. and everybody's just sharing because I think I think what we've all come to learn is that we kind of have to rely on each other as as art teachers because yeah. it's so hard to receive that same support from from our surrounding peers and and administration who may not understand uh, the arts so much. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have a I don't have a coordinator for the arts in my district. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes there is a breakdown in communication. And I, what I have found is just that just jumping into a Facebook group, an art education Facebook group, that you ask a question and the feedback will come. And that's a mm-hmm. great thing to feel like, uh, you know, somebody's listening and, and there's help. You know, so yeah. I, you're not alone. That idea. Right. Yeah. That's those groups were so such a huge help for me. Even before COVID, right. um, I still was on there all the time. Just like, how do I do this? Uh. <laughs> and they're there, though. They're like, answer you right which is mm-hmm. which is amazing so it's it's great I, I didn't know uh the power of that uh, until i started engaging
engaging with, with the groups. Yeah, yeah, it's such a big help. And it does change that, you know, how you mentioned that we're sort of on our own little island in in the art world, right. <laughs> the art department. Right. So I think I think the answer to the actual question is just that social media has been mm-hmm. my number one resource uh, for this school year. I think prior to I think prior to the pandemic, um, I think I had distanced my or made myself unavailable to these things. Mm. I'm not exactly sure why. I can't answer that at the moment, but uh, I think once I found myself feeling alone, mm-hmm. I started looking for it and I found it, and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for it. Do you feel like it's been termed that there's not just one pandemic that's been happening? That we have COVID and then we have this pandemic, hopefully waning now. Yeah, <laughs> pandemic of systemic racism, right. and that's something I've been talking about and been trying to, you know, even when it's uncomfortable, just having those conversations. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on how, you know, how you work in your classroom to combat that and kind of what that looks like for you. So continuing with this level of transparency, mm-hmm. because I because I was looking at this situation um, and trying to see what I can do differently as well, just because I am someone of color doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that I, that I have the answers. So I right. needed to, I definitely needed to stop and do some research on my own end and analyze the things that I've, do, I've been doing. Um, self-reflection is so important um, mm-hmm. as a teacher or, you know, just for people in general. But so I had to take some time back and understand like, what have I done in the past? What things would I need mm-hmm. to change? Because while every while we were holding everybody else accountable of these things, I wanted to make sure that I was doing the best that I can do for my students as well. Um, mm-hmm. Majority, my the students that I teach are majority, I would say, so that African-American students and then um, a high percentage of students who are uh, migrants from Central America and South America. Mm-hmm. So so I needed to, and I have been, and I'm constantly changing and, and building a curriculum in my classroom that does exactly that, that, that just shows them that there's artists and artwork that includes them, that looks mm-hmm. like them, and um, treating my students fairly and understanding that I have to meet them where they're at, uh, trying to be as equitable as possible. What I've learned during this pandemic is uh, how to be resourceful. So I know not all of my students are economically um, fit to have all of the materials that we need. So trying to develop lessons that would allow for that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I think my role is? I, I think I think I have been held responsible or, or held to the burden of making this change for a long time. I'm one of the few uh, one of the few brown teachers in my school district mm-hmm. and and a male at that. So in my mm-hmm. building, in my building, I'm the only one. So if there right. is a student that wants to connect or, or wants to build relationships or is looking for that mentor, there's a great chance that I'm going to I'm going to be that person. And so I've had to also deal with that is understanding that that my reach and my responsibility is not just to being an art teacher. So mm-hmm. I have had, you know, I, I advise a program called Men of the Future Junior so that I can mm-hmm. finally just keep all these all these boys in the same space instead of having them mm-hmm. scattered and just reach them all at once and say like, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm available to you. But if we could, let's just let's just do it here so that I don't have to be spaced out during the day and I can still teach art during the day and not have to, mm-hmm. you know, worry about these things. I have felt this pressure going through the program when I was in undergrad, when I was in my graduate programs, being the only one, that feeling of that feeling of mm-hmm. not belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, I can recall an, an issue when I was in, I, I, yeah, it's an issue when I was in undergrad where the art teacher, it was an art education uh, class. So it was one of the courses for, for our education. Uh, mm-hmm. 
she was teaching about a Caribbean artist that included brujeria in her artwork, uh, which is a form of a form of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And and she just turns to me in the middle of her of her lecture and goes like, "Oh, right, right, Candido." Oh. I, I was like, I think I think I was I was still coming into my identity at that point. I hadn't really known so much because I just started taking classes in Black Studies program and and developing my identity and and realizing like, oh my God, there's so much that I don't know about myself, about my people. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, I think that sort of just put it all in perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, if I want this, if I want to turn this thing, this experience into something that that I think is caters towards my, towards my people or people who, are, who have my same experience, I'm going to have to make a lot of changes or otherwise they're going to be on the receiving end of some teacher saying, don't you know about this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I felt, you know, I felt targeted at that moment. And I was like, eh, that's not fair for you to have said that. Why would I know about that? I'm, I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up in, in the suburbs of, of the United States. I, well, I know about, you know, what's <laughs> right. happening in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I think it's important maybe now that I say what I identify myself as so that there's some clarity for maybe anybody who's listening, but I consider myself to be a black Puerto Rican American. I was raised in, like I said, in the suburbs of New York. Uh, my parents were already here in the, in the States. My family grew up speaking all English. My grandparents, I was able to speak to them in English. I don't, I speak to them in Spanish now because I'm capable, but never had mm-hmm. to prior. Uh, so I, I, at my core, I feel more, I feel more American than anything else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that moment in particular was 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 culture shock to me because when I had grown up, I hadn't encountered those things, or or they weren't so blatantly obvious. I should say that. Yeah, well, that was a lot. Did I answer? Did I even answer? No. That? Yes, that was amazing. I feel yeah. like it's so it's so important to hear those experiences, and you know, I've had similar conversations with my husband sometimes where he is white passing, mm. but maybe you know some people might look at him questionably. Okay, right. <laughs> and he's ta- he grew up speaking Spanish at home, so you know, he's talked about that some of those same feelings of like yeah. not knowing identity and like I'm American, but you know, my parents aren't, but like what you know, what is this <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then having other people look at you one way uh, and maybe out of ignorance just, you know, make those sort of comments that really can be so hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's important for for teachers like me, white teachers, to hear those experiences and realize, you know, before I turn to a student and say, you know, based on the very little I might know about that student, say, hey, you know about this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's tough because, you know, we want to, especially now while so many so many people are revisiting their curriculum and changing things, you know, mm-hmm. and we're trying to make it so it's more accessible, more relatable to our students. But maybe having them engaged in that process is, is mm-hmm. just it's just so important. So it's like, don't just pick the artist that you feel is fit. Like maybe show them a, a few of them so that they have an idea so that they, maybe them, they can participate in the in the process say like, hey, I feel like I might relate to this artist more or, mm-hmm. or maybe that artwork as opposed to say, you know, as opposed to just, oh, I have mostly Mexican students in my mm-hmm. class. So maybe we'll do a Mexican artist, but maybe that Mexican artist isn't isn't the one, you know, that yeah. that, that really, that, that, that they feel close to or feel like they'll learn from. Yeah, I feel like that's, yeah, that's what it comes down to asking the question in Instead of just making an assumption. Yeah, uh, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning that. <laughs> yeah. You know? But if you show them that you care, which goes back to the relationship, mm-hmm. is that they allow you to make those mistakes and you correct them. And, and as a group, as a 
almost as if a family, you can move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And showing that vulnerability is such a big step. Like that's so helpful and so hard in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because because as a teacher, you're hoping, right? You're hoping that you know the information that you're that you're sharing or you want you want to be right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is very liberating to to be able to accept like, oh, I'm I'm not going to get this right. You know, and feeling like, you know, hey, uh, maybe on a Monday I'll come in and I'm teaching a lesson for the first time for maybe a material I've never taught before in my life and telling the kids Uh. that in the beginning, just tell them, hey, I have no idea how this is going to (laughs) work, but but you might be able to show me. Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes such a relaxing experience because now everybody can make the mistake. Yeah. And and, and you can and you can use all those mistakes as as learning experiences for yourself as a teacher. The students can do it as they grow in their creative experiences. Uh, Yeah. I mean, being vulnerable is it's, it's beneficial for the classroom. Yeah. You're modeling for them this ability to grow and learn and make mistakes and recover from mistakes. Yeah. And of course, as a man, I, I have uh, my issues with vulnerability that I need to overcome mm-hmm. and, um, and and sort of accept and build upon. And it's something that I've been doing. I've been working on just as much. So, you know, we're tackling those two pandemics that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and then there's always the underlying like, OK, how do I, you know, I have this I have this idea of what it's like to be to be a man or be a male teacher. And I have to overcome those things as well, because I can't be the best if I'm just going to be constantly dealing with those uh, emotions and struggles as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And do you do you have conversations about that with the you mentioned the group that you're sort of mentoring the men of the future group? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have those conversations all the time. So just mm-hmm. I think I think it's just as important for them as it is for me, mm-hmm. because uh, it gives me an opportunity to instead of self-reflecting alone, I can do it with them and I can I can express to them like, hey, I did this thing today, you know, and, and there is there's something wrong with that. I wish somebody would have checked me at that moment. But mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you now that if I see you do it, you know, don't be surprised when I check you on. It. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like we all can relate to that sort of checking yourself after the fact. Right. <laughs> I feel like that. That happens with me all the time that I'm just, you know, not quite quick enough to like catch it in the moment. (laughs) And then later reflecting, just being like, oh man, like what I said was not okay. Uh, Or what I did, you know, you know, or even just looking back at past curricula, that kind of thing, past conversations. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah, I know (laughs) that can get, that can get uh, tricky. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess the, the bottom line is to move, to check yourself realize and like do better next time like move forward yeah I so 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 appreciate your written reviews it is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire encourage and entertain you So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram. It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. 
Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can. And that is Pots Art, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. I would love to hear more about your art making. Okay. Could you maybe describe your work for someone who hasn't seen it? Okay, so this is something that I struggle with often. I do not feel like I have a style, but all of my friends and family will say we can identify your stuff when we see it. Mm. And I think it's a result of teaching, right? Being so flexible, having to use so many different materials Mm -hmm. that I find myself doing that in my own practice, right? So maybe for a week, I'm like loving watercolor. And Mm -hmm. then the next week, I'm like, I just want to do pen and ink this week. And then in the next week, I'm like, I'm just doing digital drawing for like the next three months and I'm not going to do anything else. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I don't have a style, but, but it translates, right? Right. So so mm-hmm. it still translates no matter the medium. I still have something about my artwork that allows for my friends and family or supporters to just say, yeah, we know that style. We know who made that. So what what do I prefer at the moment? It's going to be I'm I'm loving digital drawing. I'm mm-hmm. on the iPad with Procreate and watercolor and ink is probably if I have the opportunity, if I have the time, that's that's where I'm going to sit down and work on. Mm-hmm. So either one of those two things, my subject matter, I think it I think my subject matter, while it might be different, it always has has the same underlying concept, which is exploring exploring childhood and tapping mm-hmm. back into that that inner child and allowing myself to be free and having fun. I want to have fun in all of my artwork. So mm-hmm. I want to, I just want it to be exciting. If um, I, I want it to be fluid, I want the colors to be bright. I want to mm-hmm. tap into old memories. I want to reminisce. I want when people see my projects, they can see themselves in it and maybe uh, transport them to a, a childhood memory. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that, ah. I think that kind of sums up where I'm at, what yeah. I'm doing. I love that. Do you ever, have you combined the, like, I don't know if it would be scanning in some of the watercolor and ink work and working with that digitally? I've done some, but not like to finish pieces. That's more of mm-hmm. been, those have been explorations. I've never shown a piece or sold a piece in that way. Um, but that mm-hmm. I've definitely done the uh, the exploration like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or even I'm thinking now the other way, like print out any of your digital work and then go back in with, you know. I think that ink. one is interesting. Interesting. That one I might mm. uh, not while you're while you're t- saying it, I'm like, oh, that I should probably try that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm taking both of those ideas and I'm going <laughs> to run with them. So thank you. Yeah. No, I loved I've I've been looking at a few artists that have that do that kind of like back and forth and back and forth with digital okay. and then by hand. Right. And it's so interesting just how you can even like take a photo and mess with that digitally a little bit and then like mess with it by hand and right. bring it back back into the computer and do something else. There's a lot of, yeah. I should also mention that I really just love sitting with paper and pencil as well. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's the thing that, it, let's say there's a stretch where I cannot find time to work on on projects. I think I would be miserable if, if somebody took away my sketchbook or my pencil, uh, right? So yeah. I can be f- completely fine with not without doing paintings for months. But if I don't have my sketchbook or my pencil, I think that's when I found myself in a bad place. Yeah, so it almost becomes, does it feel, I don't, I hesitate to use the word therapy, but. <laughs> Like for my work, my work feels very therapeutic. Okay. I don't know if you if you have that same feeling with drawing or sketching. Yeah, I would assume that it is therapeutic for me as well. It would be I journal as well, so it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't replace journaling. Um, maybe it's the yeah. balance, right? It's the maybe it's just giving me um, because I'm a visual learner as well, and because I'm a visual person, maybe it just allows me to do a little bit more than what I would write. Or I, maybe if uh-huh. I'm if I feel like what I'm writing just doesn't just doesn't finish my idea, doesn't completely explain 
explain it, then I'll go ahead and, and, and I'll, I'll draw to just yeah. create the, you know, finish the rest of the idea, the thought. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a sort of therapy. Yeah, sure. And that makes so much sense to that words can't always express what you're thinking or feeling. Yeah. Especially right now with Wordsmith, if I was, if I was a literary genius, then I'm sure mm-hmm. I could get the job done, but that I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Amanda Gorman. Ah. Ah. <laughs> I think we all felt so good, right? Mm-hmm. When she just took the stage, we were like, I think I just knew it was going to be powerful <sighs> before she even started speaking. I was like, this is going to move us all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I all. was I was already like in tears and she just, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't hold it together. <laughs> uh, I feel, I feel, it still feels good, right? Yeah. 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 And so many yeah, teachers are bringing that into the classroom as well, which is awesome. So amazing. Mm-hmm. And it makes me just think of how powerful the arts can be, whether it's words or images, like how moving that can be. Oh, it's incredible, which also makes me wonder sometimes, why are they diminished? Mm-hmm. If this young lady mm-hmm. was able to just captivate the world the way she did, yeah. you know, how could we second guess the power of the arts? Mm-hmm. It's Unless it was intentionally done, you know, where, where we're just really just saying, no, it's not that important. And, mm-hmm. and just, just being that way, as opposed to just acknowledging what is take, what is transpiring since that, since we just yeah. listened to her poem. Yeah. And that, I mean, <laughs> that brings up a whole can of worms sure. about equity and you know, the arts are such a powerful force. Absolutely. Oh, and not funding them takes some of that power away. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what also I've, I've done recently, I, I'm going to, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to bring the conversation back to, mm-hmm. to my style. What I recently yeah, yeah. started doing was um, I started uh, making stickers. So I've, mm-hmm. I think I'm producing these stickers. Well, they're, they're a result of something I'm trying. I love iconic characters. I love, I love street art street artists who are able to design a character that is just it's you just can't question who is the artist when they see it yeah and so i've, I've always admired that and i wanted to try it uh, you know in the grants and in, in the largest of, of stages we could say you know uh walt disney with mickey mouse right mm-hmm. um so i wanted to try that i wanted to tackle that for fun i wanted to tackle that i wanted to develop a character so i came up with something called scaredy pants which is just three ghosts in a pair of pants oh. and um <laughs> and so I, I just kept drawing it in the style of different artists that i follow on Instagram so just kept mm-hmm. drawing it over and over learning their style just practicing their style and, and also and just at the same time um, seeing what I can do with these three ghosts and and then I thought oh well let me just throw them into iconic characters as well that wear pants so mm-hmm. for instance we take you know Bart Simpson and everybody knows him you know what his sneakers look like his shorts if he's holding a skateboard and then make three ghosts coming out of his out of his uh. shorts and so I did a few of those and I thought oh these would be cool stickers I'm sure people would slap them on I've had success with that it's doing it's like doing pretty well it, and it's so fun to create and it's so fun to share um and the feedback has been pretty cool so yeah that's been something i guess that uh if, if something comes out of out of this year while i'm working on it uh that would be kind of cool to be recognized for having this one particular character the scaredy pants yeah and then do you envision that character having like a story would there be you know i don't know if it would be a comic book or animations even or like i have i, I don't know if i don't know if you and i are in this are in the same boat but I have much more ideas than I have time to create them right so uh, I do have I I wouldn't turn this character into a uh, I'm not I haven't spent too much time building a narrative for this character because there Mm -hmm. is a children's book that I would love to write that I'm constantly Mm -hmm. sketching and and writing ideas down for and this is just um I think it's it's sort of it's sort of my experience and it's it has a lot to do with who I am and Mm -hmm. and who I felt like I was as a child so it's about these four these four kids um that are growing up in the suburbs 
black and black and uh, Latinx, like depending mm-hmm. on, um, I, ha- I haven't fully identified who's what, because mm-hmm. it's more just imagery and ideas. But I want it to be a children's horror. Mm-hmm. So I want it to be fun, but I want it to be scary at the same time. And so it's yeah. got these very neutral colors. I guess it has a Burton-esque feel to it, um, mm-hmm. but a bilingual type of story. Yeah. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it, calling it Burntwood Park. And whenever I have time, I just drop some ideas on it and I do some sketches. So that's something I think I've as far as like building a narrative or a whole story, I think it's been that. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Eventually, <laughs> I I want it to happen. I want to see it when it when it does happen. <laughs> when it all is like done and published. Yeah, I think I think there's room for it. Um, there mm-hmm. is. Uh, there's a lot happening on the silver screen regarding or acknowledging that, you know, Black and Latino people are also into science fiction. They're also mm-hmm. into horror, you know, and uh, I think what we're seeing with shows like Lovecraft Country uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO or like Victor and Valentino on Cartoon Network is that there's room for this. And, and I think it's about to expand. I think it's about to blow up. And uh, oh, yeah. I'm so excited about that. So even if I don't carve my way, I'm just so excited to be part of and watching and, and experience and sharing with my son, you know, this, mm. this type of thing, like, hey, you know, uh, outside of being the outside of being a landscaper and the maids in these films and movies, mm. like you can also be the superhero, you can also be uh, a time traveler, and you can also be the person running from a, a huge werewolf and survive. <laughs> yes. Know? And you're that just thinking of your son makes me think about time, time management, and like how you fit, you know, making any art into teaching and now... <laughs> Your your son is still a baby. He's turning three in April. Oh, he's turning three. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I thought he was younger. But <laughs> three is yeah, quite an age. Powerhouse. <laughs> oh. Um, so the question is time management, right? Yeah. Like, how do you you know what is what does a week look like? How do you kind of fit it all in? Uh, okay. First, <laughs> I guess not like I could joke. I, it's not like I can hide it from you. It's it's, it's so hard. You know it. You know it firsthand yeah. as a parent. You you know, it, it's so challenging. Yeah. And it took me a while to understand that. So first, let me just say, um, I leave work at work. Mm-hmm. I am present at home and then I stay up late to create. Mm-hmm. All right. So that that's that's my, I, I try to stick to that routine so that so that everybody can have the best of me and I can try to be at, at 100% for everybody who needs me. What I did come to learn is that uh, being a parent is so demanding, especially if you are somebody who believes in, 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 a, in being a quality parent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's so demanding that, it's very easy to dismiss those other things in your life, those passions. In mm-hmm. this case, we're talking about art, but I didn't. I wasn't ready to do that. What I what I wanted to do instead was find a way where I can maybe combine the two, mm-hmm. right? So I started a pr- another project because I don't have enough ideas going on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I started another project called Creativity Dad Project, mm-hmm. and that what that allows me to do is is create with my son. So mm-hmm. instead of me trying to create after him or uh, just completely not you know, setting it aside and not doing anything. What I, you know, I ask him or I wait for him to ask me, can we paint? Can we draw? Can we color? And I try to work on like fully complete pieces with him. So maybe he'll mm-hmm. add something, I'll add something and we go back and forth like that. Or maybe I'm just documenting his process and so that I can practice photography or I can practice videography. Mm-hmm. And that has worked so great for me and for us because I can be fully invested with my son and the time with my family, as well as feeling like I'm not losing the ability to be creative. Yeah. And it this has translated well for me, for us. And I, I know because uh, recently he he saw a video of me uh, doing a demonstration on a 
mono printing. And he asked me, he said, I want to print. Oh. And I was like, well, this is a little bit, I think, beyond you, but we could give it a go. <laughs> and uh, and he did it. He did four, you know, he did four prints. Or he did, I think he did six prints. And then he was like, okay, that's it. So we tried yeah. it. You know, it, we had some fun with it. He told me he was done. And and I, I felt so good about it. I was like, oh, right, you just tried. I, I did. I tried mono printing when I was, you know, when I was 21 years old. Right. And, and here you are, you're two, two and a half and, and you're trying oh. out a brand new material. And yeah, that's how, I, that's what I do. Leave work at work, be present at home. Mm-hmm. And when everybody goes to sleep, I'll stay up late to create if, if, if need be. Yeah. Uh, but I love that creatividad. I love <laughs> that project. As for anybody who doesn't know, creatividad is just uh, Spanish for creativity. And mm-hmm. by putting an emphasis on DAD at the end, it becomes a fatherhood project. Yeah. And then that's also through that, like you're sharing on Instagram and inspiring other dads, other fathers. Yeah, because that's a that's a whole new that's a whole new uh, platform and community for me as well. Is that mm-hmm. there's so many fathers that are trying to change a narrative of what mm-hmm. fatherhood looks like um, now. You know, comparing to maybe what what some of us grew up with. And I'm just enjoying. It. I'm learning so much about being a father or things I want to mm-hmm. do and and how I can influence others. So it, a goal of creatividad is actually to do an exhibition for my son and I together. Maybe something mm-hmm. that can happen. You know, for years to come on and on, like with him and I working together. If he falls in love with art the way I did, and yeah. also for us to lead workshops in our local community, uh, local libraries for fathers and their children. So maybe we do, you know, like um, like the paint nights, but for fathers and their children. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I would like to do that. Yeah. And one thing that came up that I thought of when you talked about collaborating with him was, I know I've, try- I've tried to do similar things with my daughter and she is very possessive of her work or any work that she has touched. <laughs> You know, if I start something and then hand it over to her, it's hers now. Like, I better not mess with it. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, Yeah. So I don't know if that ever happens. If he, if there's maybe certain pieces that he gets like really attached to or, (laughs) or parts of a work, like sometimes she'll tell me, do not this corner, like this has to stay this way. (laughs) The answer is yes. That's happened to me. Um, (laughs) And it happens specifically with drawing. So Mm. I can do, I can change his artwork all I want. Um, mm. But if there's something that he wants from me, I'm not allowed to change it after I fulfilled his request, right? So let's say, <laughs> yeah. so we recently went over to uh, to a duck pond that's local, and uh, he hadn't seen it yet, but he was just in in awe at mm-hmm. seeing all the ducks, and and uh, was was just like fascinated with the sounds and the colors. And I was like, all right, let's when we go home, you know, I'll draw you uh, first. Uh, let me be clear. I'm not the most important subject matter in all of this. It's always mama and baby. It's not, it's not. So even though it's our project, it's always her that I'm drawing and him. Right. <laughs> I'm not mad about that. Um, so when I got, when we got home, I said, all right, I'm going to draw you a mama and baby duck. And, and after I draw it, we'll color it and we'll, we can do it. We could paint it. We do any kind of, you know, kind of coloring you want to. After I drew it, he was just like, you can't touch it no more. That's it. And so he took it away from me and he was walking around the house. I still see it around the house. And I'm like, hey, can we, can we put some color in? to this he's like no that's it (laughs) (laughs) I love it you know I feel like that's a really good sort of practice for us as artists and as teachers to you know we see other things that can be done to that piece of artwork and just letting someone else have their opinion even if it's you know a three-year-old or a (laughs) five-year-old yeah yeah, it's true like respecting their opinion 
Yeah. And, and if that's all he wanted, that's all he wanted, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you talked about goals with the Creatividad project. Yes. Do you feel like you have any specific goals with your teaching or art making this year? I mean, I feel like January is a time where we start thinking about goals. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I, I was recently part of another conversation. And I, in that conversation, I said that I thought as opposed to uh, having any resolutions for this year, I came in thinking it was just it was like phase two to everything mm-hmm. I learned and, and started working on in, in 2020. Mm-hmm. I have I have like continue like continuations, like things mm-hmm. that I, I felt like I was working on then that I want to continue working on now. For teaching, I mean, I think it's just to get a, a better grasp of who I want to be as a teacher, um, mm-hmm. what I would like to see in the classroom. I know you have conversations often about, about choice and tab in your classroom, and yeah. I've explored with those things, but I can't say that I've given myself completely to them. So I'm mm-hmm. spending time now getting to learn them a little bit better and understanding the power of of, of those types of, of that type of pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that they make an impact in the next school year. Mm-hmm. I think transitions are taking place in my district. So I think I'm going to end up with a different grade level in the, in the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. But even if not, I want to understand better, like what I can do. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> for young teachers, I'm 14 years into the, into the profession. I still feel like there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always so much to learn. And, and that makes you when I think when they define what a master teacher is, I think it's that teacher who is who is capable of evolving and understanding that change is good and change is, is great for the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so my goals, my goal is really to be a better teacher. I mean, I always mm-hmm. want to be a better teacher. As far as the, yeah, I said, I said the father and son exhibition, I would love to do that this year. I would love to have an active online uh, shop for the stickers that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have a podcast and that podcast has been growing in popularity and it has much like your experience has allowed for some tremendous growth for me as an artist, for me as a person, my network, my community. And I would love to see that continue to grow and expand. And I think it is. Um, I co-host that and my co-host and I have seen what's been happening as a result of it. And we feel so positive about it and can't wait to see what comes next. Yeah. And where can, what is the name of it and where can people listen? Yeah. The name of the podcast is One Love Art Sessions Podcast. Mm -hmm. And that's available on all podcast platforms. I think most listeners are probably listening on Apple and Spotify, but it's everywhere else too. Yeah. I usually listen on Google Play, but I, (laughs) but I see, you know, yeah, most listeners are on Apple. I don't have an iPhone. So (laughs) (laughs) Spotify, Spotify has been terrific too. I mean, I have found myself, I'm an Apple guy, but I have found myself listening on Spotify uh, because I think they're doing some great things for podcasters over there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I've listened, um, I haven't listened to all of them, (laughs) but I will eventually. (laughs) Yeah. But I love how you, the two of you kind of have this back and forth and that really keeps it flowing. That's nice. So our goal for the One Love Art Sessions was was sort of like to like break down any barriers between artists and the people who love them mm-hmm. and just uh, have these intimate conversations. So they're not really interviews. Um, yeah. These artists who come on, we give them a specific topic and we just engage in that topic. So like you and I just mentioned vulnerability. We had poets on not too mm-hmm. long ago and we spoke to them about what it was like to be vulnerable in your art form. That mm-hmm. was a conversation. We spoke to two artists who have very identifiable art styles and we told we, we had a conversation about about being consistent with with those styles and what it's like to have like maybe buyer fatigue 
and and how do you overcome that? Uh, and so, yeah, th- those conversations have been great because, you know, I guess they're, uh, if you can find out information of the guests through the conversation, but it's not necessarily just focusing on on them, but mm. this this thing. And yeah, and, and so we're constantly growing, we're constantly evolving. Initially, it started as a live, as a live event where mm. we would have, stu- we would have two artists join us in a conversation while they uh, produce work live. But mm. what we found was that the artists themselves felt more comfortable just being engaged in a conversation than they wanted to be engaged in a conversation. And so we turned it into the podcast as a result. And that's great, that flexibility and sort of responding to what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think that's something I, I definitely learned last year as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think all of us <laughs> have new new levels of flexibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why, that's why I said it's like phase two, because, you know, we all learn so much about ourselves, what we're capable of doing, what our needs are. And you touched on it, but I, I realized I didn't really ask about um, the business side of art. I know you're um, making and selling the stickers, which is awesome. Do you do you also sort of seek out like exhibition opportunities or other ways of selling work? And how does how do you do it? Okay, uh, so I so commissions come in. Um, I I feel like I'm commissioned. I mean, not terribly often, but occasionally I'll have somebody contact me and say like, hey, I'm looking for this thing. They'll identify like maybe because because now it's not as easy because I'm so uh, I change my medium so often I say I have to ask them like hey like which you know what style are you looking for right um, so the commissions come in am I participating in any art exhibitions not recently not in a while mm-hmm. I did for a while host and um, mm. and curate some some events uh, in New York City mm. but I never actually tried to enter an exhibition or a gallery with my work mm. because I have never had a consistent body of work that I felt could be accepted to an exhibition like that. Uh, and so so part of my listening to your previous episodes has been that understanding and, and learning what, you know, what's needed from an artist to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I don't think that, I think, I don't think I've had a desire to do it up until recently. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been making me plan and strategize a little bit more like to create a series of work, you know, what is it mm-hmm. like to create that body of work so that, so that when I'm ready and, and if I feel ready, I can then start entering some, you know, and submitting for these opportunities. Yeah. And it is, I mean, there is definitely some strategy strategy behind it. Yeah, I see. I mean, I see your work, the work that I've seen, I see it really like fitting together. And there's maybe a few different bodies of work, but I see there being like pieces that fit together in terms of color or like the line. What's the right word? Like line style line. Yeah. Yeah. The marks. Yeah. I I think it's because I never because I didn't I wasn't considering it. I haven't I haven't focused on it. I did once I did a, a series it was about about four paintings where I took uh, animals that I considered to be or to be used as the most masculine versions of of animals Mm. and how you know maybe maybe abused I should say as as symbols of of masculinity Mm. and um and painted flowers behind them Uh. and I I did them right but there was no goal in mind so I didn't finish the series I didn't I didn't put my all into it um but that's something that I I wouldn't mind revisiting and creating this body of work that's just ready um so that when I'm ready, I can I can see if I can find a location for them. And I love the idea of participating in an exhibition, not so much uh, for the sales opportunity, but the I just love the community. I just love talking mm-hmm. to people. I just love building with people and sharing experiences. And I think that you know there's something really intimate and and personal about sharing an exhibition space with people. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like right now so much of that is online, but I'm I'm like looking for the days when (laughs) when I can go back actually into the gallery and like, you know, listen to artist talks and all of that. Yeah. But but even so, okay. um, so I I like to see the silver lining. Right. I think I've connected with more artists now virtually than Mm -hmm. I have previously because I'd have all the excuses to not go to a gallery, to not go to an opening. Mm -hmm. But if there's a virtual opening, you know, and all I have and I'm sitting on my desktop drinking my coffee, engaging in a live chat, all of a sudden I just met five people people that I wouldn't have before. Uh, so I think there is, you know, do I love being in, in a gallery space and, and, and talking people there? Yes, absolutely. But uh, since we can't do that, there's also ways to to grow and, and benefit from the online experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I I totally feel that like it's it's been challenging as a parent having in some ways less time with my kid at home, but it also having everything online means like I I can put her to bed and go go to an opening right there in my living room. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. It's so true. And I, I think it's important for us to keep that in mind, right? Uh that that there are um, there are some good things happening so that we don't get completely lost in the haven't seen my parents in, in person in, in over yeah. a year. You know, and, and that starts to that creates a different kind of pain. But if you can if you can experience these things and you you can still feel like a person, still feel that humanity mm-hmm. because there's other people that you can share with in that moment. So yeah. yeah yeah, I'm so excited for you and your and the and and what you have coming up, and I think that's going to be tremendous for you and for your artists. Uh, I'm excited. Yes, yes, we just today opened an exhibit. Yes, which is so exciting, and um, it's been fun just being able to kind of build that platform. Like you know, it's it's just a website, so <laughs> it's again like flexibility. We can kind of make it what we want to make it. Like we are trying to add videos and make it sort of more interactive in some ways, working on adding lessons that connect to it. Um, Oh, that's great. And then there's a few ideas that we'll be releasing a little bit later, but just Uh, trying to like, we have a little teaser. It's got a teaser from Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like I am so not a marketer. Like I've... (laughs) That's something that I'm really learning as I go, but <laughs> well, I'll do my best on my end to share what you're doing because uh, I think people oh, should see it. Thank you, thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Um, so I have a few just kind of fun, get to know you, wrapping sure. up questions. Um, one really broad. What are you curious about? Uh, we had some guests on the podcast that introduced us to crypto art. Are you familiar with it? Oh no. Okay, so there is a art movement called. Called um, NFTs, and they are basically art that is uh, part of a blockchain. They're part of oh. the they're part of the internet. They belong to the internet, oh. and people are purchasing them for cryptocurrency. And they're being exchanged. They're sold. They're visible to everybody. You can share them. They are basically rebels to the existing art industry. Mm. Um, but I think the part that interests me the most is there's a royalties aspect to it. And so mm. every time an artist sells their artwork if, if if that purchaser sells it to someone else there's a royalty paid to the to the artist initially mm. so it's sort of like music yeah but, but for visual arts mm. and, and that's very intriguing to me I would say that that has that has probably sparked my interest a lot lately the idea of, of playing with animation that's something that I'm not formally trained in but I've been learning it and I'm having fun with it <laughs> and lastly I just got a cricket so I'm enjoying oh. that <laughs> that's kind of fun yes and not a not a little chirping insect right oh. Oh, yeah, to be clear, right. 
I'm I'm cutting vinyl and and adhering mm. it to coffee mugs and yes jars and stuff and personalizing things and it's just it's just it's just fun. Uh, it's fun. Yeah. It's probably even more fun because I could do it with my artwork. So it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not relying on clip art. I'm not relying on the internet. But I can design what I want to have on things. And maybe that's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Never had an opportunity. So I'm doing it now. And that's fun. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I'm one of those artists that sees. I you know I'll see something at a store and I my first thought is like I could make that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I never actually follow through. Like rarely follow. I sometimes I do, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that must be exciting to have the the tool that helps you be able to do that. Yeah. And and again, it much like the podcast, it's it's a it's a passion project. You know, I just do it for mm. fun when I have a chance. Yeah. Um, okay, another just fun little one. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? <laughs> I don't have a favorite restaurant, but I have yeah. a favorite food, and that is just yeah. a, a regular slice. I just enjoy mm. a good regular slice. If I'm feeling fancy, maybe I'll go with a grandma slice or all white slice. <laughs> But if I can, if I can just order two slices of pizza, I'm probably the happiest kid in the world. And yeah. do you fold it? Yeah, yeah, New York I style. Do. <laughs> I do, and I burn, and I burn myself, and I and I regret it. Yeah, I just, I'm oh. just, I'm completely invested and committed. Once I, once it's in my hands, it's yeah. for me, it's meant to be uh, consumed. So, oh, so good. I know. I lived in New York for a while, and yeah, that you're making me miss it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh. Just, if you don't get burned by cheese, you get burned by the oil. So it's. <laughs> Yeah, but you're not mad about it because it's just like, oh, that's just part of the experience. Yeah. And is there anyone you'd like to thank or give a shout out to? So I always feel like it's important for me to acknowledge mm-hmm. the people who allow me to do what I do. Mm-hmm. I said it in uh, in my proposal to my wife, but basically it's, mm-hmm. it's easier to chase dreams when you have somebody running along with you. Mm-hmm. And she has been such a strong supporter of what I do or given me the ability to do so. And my parents for just always being super supportive of the arts. I, mean, I hear all these stories of people, how they had to struggle mm-hmm. with their parents to, to believe in them as artists. But I had the exact opposite. And I, mm. My dad was the one who was buying me the comics, buying me the coloring books and saying, like, if you're going to do it, be good at it. Mm-hmm. I just want to take that opportunity to just acknowledge those groups, you know, those groups of people, the families and the communities that support us as artists and what we do. And I'll say thank you to to any of them who, who aren't my supporters, but maybe the artists who are listening to you. You know, it's, it's important to show that appreciation as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Those people in our lives make it all happen. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And then last thing, where can our listeners connect with you online? I divided my my work and uh, what I do into three different online identities. And that's mm-hmm. Crespo Arts, which is just my personal work, my personal thoughts. Um, Creatividad Project, which is any of the projects I work on with my son. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my Mr. Crespo persona and then the podcast as well, which is actually four. So let me do this. Yeah. I am active on Instagram and Twitter. And that's at Crespo Arts, at Creatividad Project. And this, these are all spelled out on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and I'll link to all of them too. Yeah. 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 At Mr. C. C. Crespo and, and at One Love Art Sessions. Probably, mm-hmm. I guess I, I guess Instagram is probably the best place because I can do both things. I can interact and show off at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that. Thank you so much, Candido. This was really just such a good conversation. I I know I say that every time. I'm like, I love this conversation, but I really do. <laughs> oh, I want to say thank you and that this conversation was a pleasure for me. I have I've said it earlier and I'll continue to say it. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing for us um, because I think I think we need to hear these stories. So please continue to do so. I know it's time consuming and I know sometimes it feels like too much. Yeah. But if I could speak for everybody and all of your listeners, we appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, that means a lot. <laughs> Bringing tears to my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I know it could be it could be so tough. I know it. I, uh, I mean, I can hear it sometimes in just in your simple messages. That's just like, oh, she's probably like beaten down right now. <laughs> Today is probably a rough uh, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I'm like typing something on Instagram while my five year old's like yelling at me, and I have teaching stuff like just a list of to dos and. <laughs> trying to meet Uh, art deadlines (laughs) yeah so thank you thank you thank you so much for listening as always you can reach me at teaching artist podcast on instagram or teaching artist podcast at gmail.com Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.